Welcome back to the Zombie Coder, where we believe less is more and worse is better. This is once again the lead undead software engineer, Andrew, speaking from a small family homestead in the Midwest. Now, this is episode 15 of the podcast, or the first episode in season two. You might notice that these episodes are coming out a little bit later than intended. I had actually intended on starting season two a few weeks earlier, but some personal issues came up, and I did attempt to cover those in an episode which I just chose to leave out or to delete. Uh, That was the previous unmentioned episode, season 15, or excuse me, previously unmentioned episode 15. Now, that episode actually dove into a little bit of American politics, which has been affecting me a little bit more than usual. I do have family that actually lives in the D.C. area, and I have uh, some family and friends that have been rather significantly impacted by some of the current goings-on. Now, before we get into the main topic of this episode, I'm going to start off with a disclaimer. This will be the last time that there is an extended version of this disclaimer. And that is as such, I'm going to kind of let down the guard a little bit as far as just my personal communication style goes and really just make peace with the fact that if I'm going to be myself in this podcast, there is likely going to be an E next to every episode. I have tried uh, previously to really keep any use of profanity down to a complete minimum, uh, trying to make this just a uh, work-friendly, family-friendly environment. I'm still going to not be uh, crude, um, at least not uh, intentionally crude, uh, but I do plan on uh, not censoring my speech quite as much as I was before. Uh, So going forward in future episodes, you can expect to hear profanity. That does mean uh, all of the colorful uh, general adjectives, uh, such as the F-bomb, the A-bomb, take your pick of bomb. Um, It's probably going to be in this show. I just... uh, Honestly, editing and just making sure that nothing slipped through uh, was just a little bit of extra effort that I don't think, uh, at least so far, I don't think there was significant value in. If you're in a workplace where that sort of thing is a little bit uh, sensitive, then I would suggest putting on some earphones and we can move on. Uh, If you're in school, I apologize if uh, your school administrators are a little bit... uh, well, conservative in that regard. I think uh, they can learn to deal because I know for a fact that in the teacher's uh, lounge, uh, they say far more colorful things than I will ever say on this podcast. In any case, the subject of today's podcast, beyond profanity and uh, just kind of a disclaimer as to why season two is a little bit late starting, is the whole mantra of worse is better. I started using that in the introduction of this podcast without even really giving thought as to the reality that, well, many people might not actually know what I mean by that or even understand kind of the concept of worse is better or just think it as kind of a simple bullshit philosophy. I thought I would take this episode or the kind of the first episodes of this series uh, season 
to really kind of explain what worse is better means, as well as what less is more means. That'll actually be in the next episode, where I'm going to kind of cover the idea of simplicity and keep it simple, stupid. Uh, so you can imagine, worse is better does not mean that. Uh, that might have been the thing that you thought. Uh, you know, kind of looking at it, there's a couple of good guesses that I would think a person would make as to what the idea of worse is better means. The, the first is, perhaps it's related to the idea of a minimum viable product or MVP. This was a concept popularized by Eric Ries in the early 2000s. Of course, um, I'm going to say that actually this, this concept's even older than that. The second idea, which kind of hits a little bit more uh, close to home as far as worse is better, is maybe it's related to the idea of perfectionism. And I would say uh, that is accurate. Um, I am going to link a hacker, uh, excuse me, I'm going to link a life hacker article here on why perfectionism and burnout go hand in hand. Um, it's a good article on why you need to be careful about perfectionism. They kind of quote Voltaire here. Uh, Perfect is the enemy of the good. Um, and that is definitely getting closer to the subject. You, you might have heard a quote generally attributed to Mark Twain. Continuous improvement is better than delayed perfection. I did a bunch of research into this quote and actually finally kind of managed to stumble upon a Mark Twain expert who commented on it. it I could not find a proper attribution or where it actually came from. So this quote, probably not uh, from Mark Twain, at least directly, or, or not something that there's a good source for. But I did find a similar quote in a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. One cannot have everything the way he would like it. A man has no business to be depressed by a disappointment anyway. He ought to make up his mind to get even. Again, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Both of those guesses, I, I think they are good guesses. They are kind of related to the concept of worse is better, but they don't really hit home. Worse is better is perhaps a poorly marketed, at least in my mind, version of the Done Manifesto. Now, I say that I'll actually get into the history of worse is better. It, I, how I use it is not how it was originally used, but the original way it was used does really lead into my thought process and kind of helps clarify a few things about why I think the approach works. Speaking of the cult of Dunn, I'm referring to a manifesto written by two people a while back, uh, Bree Peters and Keo Stark. And I apologize if I get the names wrong. And this manifesto just kind of highlights the importance of the concept of Dunn and how to get things done and avoid procrastination. I'm going to read it here just because it's fairly short and I think will do the, uh, the idea justice. Here we go, the Cult of Done Manifesto. There are three states of being, not knowing, action, and completion. Except that everything is a draft, it helps to get it done. There is no editing stage. Pretending you know what you're doing is almost the same as knowing what you are doing, so you must ex so just accept that you know what you're doing even if you don't and do it. Banish procrastination. If you wait more than a week to get an idea done, abandon it. The point of being done is not to finish, but to get other things done. Once you're done, you can throw it away. 
Laugh at perfection. It's boring and keeps you from being done. People without dirty hands are wrong. Doing something makes you right. Failure counts as done. So do mistakes. Destruction is a variant of done. If you have an idea and publish it on the internet, that counts as a ghost of done. Done is the engine of more. So again, that's the Cult of Done Manifesto, which I just read, of course, copyright by the original authors. Uh, again, a very uh, short uh, statement. When I first saw this, it really struck a chord with me because I am, well, I struggle greatly with perfectionism to the point of which I just get nothing done ever. And so I saw this and I'm like, you know, this is a, a needed counterbalance uh, for my personal life, uh, uh, for me actually doing great things as far as getting anything accomplished. Now, obviously, as far as this podcast goes, there is editing. I'm actually trying in the attempt to uh, just kind of channel this Cult of Done manifesto, though. My attempt here is to actually do this entire podcast in one take and then just edit out uh, and kind of revise from there. So we'll see if I actually manage uh, to attain that. I I'm hopeful at this point. Uh, I've actually done a f decent job so far and I imagine when I listen to it back again, I'm going to wince at a few moments, but I'm going to leave them in there uh, just to kind of uh, be real about it. And spoiler, I ended up editing a far amounts more and recording a little bit more than really met the spirit of that uh, goal. So how is this cult of done thing related to the worse is better concept? Well, to go back to what I said earlier, it's really not a perfect representation of what worse is better means. It's stolen from an essay from Richard P. Gabriel. Uh, this essay is actually available in uh, the Unix Haters Handbook. Uh, which has been released for free online as a PDF. So I will have a link in the show notes. I actually have an in-print copy. It is one of the books that I actually kind of prize as far as just kind of cool things to have and take a look at as far as computing history goes. The Unix Haters Handbook was more tongue-in-cheek. It, it has a degree of humor. In, in fact, Dennis Ritchie actually has what is called an anti-forward there, uh, also kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's a roast. Uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the comedy central-esque uh, or kind of the concept of roasting somebody, that, that really is kind of what I see the Unix uh, Haters Handbook as. Although most everything in that book is actually kind of valid criticism of Unix, which uh, makes it all just a little bit better. Uh, the essay in particular was originally published in AI Expert magazine back in 1991, so this really predates uh, the Cult of Dunn manifesto. The original article was uh, obviously about uh, Lisp uh, being an AI Expert magazine, uh, and well, the author, he's a Lisp guy, and he kind of comes from the Lisp school of thought, and that makes him, well... It's a bit of an academic, a bit of an elitist. Um, definitely you get that kind of uh, academic elitist attitude uh, kind of shining through a little bit in this article. Of course, it's also written uh, tongue-in-cheek with a little bit of smart as to how the Unix system managed uh, to win out. 
he kind of illustrates two different approaches. He illustrates the MIT Stanford style of design and then the New Jersey uh, style of design. He calls the MIT Stanford uh, style of design also the right thing approach or the, you know, the better approach, do the right thing. And he kind of illustrates this via giving a few different axes of well, a few different axes of design importance, and those were simplicity, correctness, consistency, and completeness. And the difference between the MIT School of Design and uh, the New Jersey approach is that the New Jersey approach was all about getting things done. Um, if I put on my engineer hat and kind of reply back to the academic ivory tower here, it's about getting things done. It's about keeping the system simple. It's about making sacrifices and compromises in ways that yield more implementable code. So your interface is more implementable. He actually illustrates, as far as that goes, the idea of the system call interface and what happens on a failure. And the Lisp uh, person, obviously, you know, you want to have these system calls that really just do everything um, and, and handle their own errors. And then the Unix guys just kind of say, well, Fuck it, if a system call fails, we'll just return back an error code, uh, e-enter, or whatever error code for a, you know interruption of a system call. That's a perfectly valid thing to do, and the user code uh, should, well, it should take and uh, try to evaluate the return result and see what to do from there. So you have one approach, which is trying to basically be perfection and consistent and uh, always correct. And you have the other approach, which just basically says, eh, we'll figure it out. Uh, we'll, we'll just do on this level what keeps uh, things simple and easy to implement. And that is the trade-off that we will make. And of course, if you have the MIT person and the New Jersey person in the, uh, the same area, well, they're going to argue a little bit about this and uh, they're going to, to come to a disagreement. And the end result of uh, this kind of ongoing disagreement as far as system philosophies were concerned is that the New, Jer New Jersey approach won out. Um, the big example in the article that he's kind of just constantly poking fun at is uh, Unix and the Unix system. And you look at that and you're like, well, okay, yeah, the Unix system was very simple. In fact, the implementation of the original uh, Unix operating system kernel is sub 10,000 lines of code uh, for the PDP system. I actually have, uh, there's a, an annotated copy of the Unix source code that you can get and kind of read through to see how a operating system would have been implemented back then. And it's uh, short enough to publish. It's not like the, you know, one or two million lines of code that uh, comprise, you know, just one single system component these days. It's actually small enough to understand on its own. In any case, uh, toward the end of this uh, particular excerpt from the essay, you got kind of this good quote here. Uh, the good news is that in 1995, we will have a good operating system and programming language. The bad news is that they will be Unix and C++. I think uh, kind of just given the history, it's kind of amusing to look back and, and uh, see what the state of Unix and C++ were in 1995 and um, where things are today in terms of operating system theory and kind of where things have moved. But you take a look at this 
essay as a whole, and really his point, I, I think, kind of stands in that the evolutionary aspects, the evolutionary fitness of something that is designed um, kind of with simplicity in mind more so than anything else, uh, specifically implementation, um, implementation, simplicity, is easier to adapt and change than if you were to build kind of this really amazing system that kind of ends up being this just very, very perfect jewel that it is very difficult to break apart, very difficult to dive into, and there's no real rough surfaces that you can kind of latch onto. Some of the evolutionary fitness of Unix was uh, thus the imperfections that it had that allowed uh, people to evolve the design over time uh, to make it better. The worse is better mantra here is not necessarily arguing uh, for doing it the worst way. It's more saying, hey, if something does it, if somebody implements a, a solution that's not as optimal, it will have a tendency to actually spread and grow virally. Now, I kind of like the uh, the way it's phrased. And one of the things uh, I saw in, I don't remember where I read it exactly, but the idea that it being poorly phrased, where you're saying, you know, this kind of uh, antonym e equation here, the, uh, the rise of worse is better or worse is better, is in it being poor English, is that it being clunky is part of its charm. Like, He's doing the same thing and attempting to spread the idea by phrasing it that way since it is worse. It, it should it should be easier to evolve, adapt, and spread uh, in a viral means. So with the history and kind of looking at the cults of Dunn and the rise of worse is better and some of my professional history, I actually worked with a character it was an older gentleman, very near retirement, and his give a fuck was just completely broken uh, when he was at the office. And he would love to go on and discuss the idea of the rise of mediocrity and how uh, in corporate America, mediocre is always the winner. As, uh, as somebody near retirement, I think cynicism managed to definitely get the best of, of this guy. But I kind of took that to heart in a few ways. Um, there is a truism that as if you look at uh, corporate code and I, I've been I've been involved with a great many companies over the years and all, all of them the code I've looked at could could be better and, and that's putting it kindly you will see small areas of really just clean code but for the most part you know it, it's pretty bad or at least mediocre. Uh, you're you're looking at uh, kind of the worse is better approach or, or there as well, but the one thing I will give uh, that approach and, and I think it is a important thing to realize is that it gets the job done. At the end of the day, uh, no one gives a fuck if you have the most beautiful code ever. They care that you completed your assignment, that you got your. Uh, task done, that the bug is fixed, that the money is coming in, that the grade is made, you know, take your pick of thing. In general, unless you are working with another developer, people don't give a fuck. It, it, it's, it's just not there on their radar. 
as developers, it is a requirement for us to care about the code quality. It is something that we should have a, a professional mindset as, as far as that goes, which I will actually cover in a future podcast on test-driven development and why it's a good thing. It's very much kind of a, a truism of reality that there is a sacrifice or compromise to be made between perfection and just, you know, getting something done. That, that's honestly kind of why I wanted to talk about the cults of done and the idea of just putting stuff out there uh, to get feedback and kind of the value that that has. That is actually the attitude I am taking with this podcast. I am trying my best. I am pretending that I know what I'm doing as I sit here behind the mic. But at the end of the day, uh, it is very much a cult of done thing because at this point, I can tell you that I don't know that any of the episodes I've recorded so far would pass my personal quality sniff test. I think they would actually all end up on the cutting room floor. And so hopefully you as a listener uh, find the mediocrity involved here as sufficient for your ear. So going back to the original non-Twain quote attributed to Twain, Mark Twain, continuous improvement is better than delayed perfection. I think that is really, to me, uh, the thing that we're getting to the heart of here. Worse is better. We acknowledge that what we want in our product is something that can evolve, something that can change, and something that will, over time, get better. And making peace with not having something perfect up front is the way to achieve that, and that is what that whole essay, even if it wasn't the desired result, it is a result I took from it. And again, I will link that in the show notes so that uh, if you're curious, you can uh, read the text in its uh, full um, glory and then inform me that I'm full of shit and completely wrong on my interpretation, which is a perfectly valid thing to do. I never said that my interpretation was that of the authors. I just said that's what I got out of it. And so that will do it for this week's podcast. It's probably a little bit of a shorter episode. I was pondering whether to handle the idea of less is more in this one as well. And I opted instead to break it into two just because I think the less is more concept is going to deserve a little bit more coverage um, than I could do it uh, fairness if I tried to, to group them both uh, together here. In the meantime, I hope if you're listening to this, you are staying safe, that you are uh, doing something you enjoy, and that you are finding some joy in coding and uh, joy listening to this podcast. And with that said, this is the Zombie Coder, out. Music by Audionautics. This podcast and others available at Stitcher.com or check out just this podcast at TechStucks.com.